when you have never sold anything and you didn't grow up selling anything and like your parents weren't salespeople and like nobody ever really taught you about sales, there's this like weird, funny, moral feeling you get in your gut around sales. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Joining Brad on today's episode of Decision Point is Ryan Matonis. Ryan is the founder of Lead Engines. Lead Engines allows any cold outreach platform to be turned into a lead generation engine that never runs out of leads. To try it out today, head over to lead-engines.com. That's L-E-A-D-E-N-G-I-N-E-S.com. So I'll go ahead and uh, let you kind of tell us how you got to where you're at, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, I guess my journey has mostly been characterized by not really even knowing where I want to go. So way back in the day, I got into software because it was kind of universal. I didn't know if I wanted to do like math or bio or something like that. So I ended up in software because you can do it anywhere. And then along the way, after doing uh, that for a few years, I was at Northrop Grumman. And there was this big project I convinced them they needed to do to make something automated that they had been doing manually. Ended up saving them like a million bucks. And they offered me, it was like $62,000 a year. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. That's not a great deal. You already told me how much money I saved you. So I told myself that I was going to go work for myself and I was going to make a lot more money. And that ended up being half true. I worked for myself. And, you know, I kind of learned doing that that it didn't matter what I wanted to do with my life. As long as I knew that I didn't want to be working for somebody, I needed to learn how to market and sell, right? Whether or not I was going to be a software developer, I was going to go do some biotech thing. Somebody was going to have to buy it or I was going to work for someone. So I started doing lead generation for companies. And the idea was I would work with entrepreneurs and business owners that were already, you know, in there in the thick of it, trying to get their product in front of people. They knew, they knew how to sell it. They knew who they were selling it to and like work with them directly to learn how to start sales conversations and sell things to people and market to people. And then, you know, by the end of it, the software developer part of my brain took back over and we ended up with the leak generation stats. Gotcha. Well, we'll tell us, so we're in the lead space with our calling, calling an email product. So I'd love to hear about, you know, tell us a little bit about lead engines. Yeah, so Lead Engines is a B2B search engine. It integrates with almost 20 cold outreach platforms right now. So cold email and cold phone calling. And what it does is you plug in your search criteria. So you say, hey, I want to go after these size companies, these industries, these job titles, these keywords. And Lead Engines adds new contacts to your cold outreach campaigns every day. So they never run out of leads. And all you have to do is respond to the people that are interested or take the meetings, you know, if they just sign up. Now, do you have, now do you help with, so you're just providing the data, right? So you're not dealing with any, any of the deliverability? Well, so deliverability is a huge part or data is a huge part of deliverability, right? There's bounce rates. There's also just accuracy. So if you're emailing people that don't match the search criteria that you put in, or if you put in a bad search criteria, you're going to end up on the spam list, even if you write a great email and none of them bounce. Alternatively, you know, if you find all the right people, but you don't actually find their emails and they all bounce, you know, that's not going to work either. So yeah, it's a, we don't do like a deliverability product, but 
you know, data is, is yeah, no, you're hundred percent. You send the wrong, the, the right message to the wrong people. You're going to get on the wrong list. Right. Yeah. Um, now do you consider yourself, like when you think about the lead space, where do you guys feel like you fit in? There's, you know, zoom info is obviously growing, you know, they've gone, they've gone public discover zoom. However you want to think about that. You got seamless. There's lots of other little players in the space. Like Lucia, where do you feel like you fit in? Yeah. So, the thing you'll notice about the lead space is people like to use a different tool for, you know, finding the companies they want to target, the people they want to target. They'll go buy their emails somewhere else and they'll go do their verification somewhere else. What our approach was, was we're sort of an integration of all these different tools. And we niched in on cold emails specifically. So you could say we're a competitor with Zoom Info. You could say we're a competitor with Seamless. You could say we compete with Sales Navigator even, but ultimately what we do is first and foremost for cold email. And that means, you know, if you have all the tools in one place and the system is just geared for cold email, you're going to get a better cold email list than if you combined a bunch of different tools that weren't specifically purposed for that. The thing about the data space, and you sort of said this, is that nobody buys data from one place. So it's not, I don't, I, maybe someday it will be. But as of today, I don't think it's a winner-take-all market. I think it's a big market. I think there's a lot of huge opportunities for a lot of different players. Maybe you see Zoom become the, the, the standard and the winner in the space. I don't know. I, think, I, I don't necessarily know that that'll happen. I think you'll continue to have lots of, continue to have lots of players and a, and a lot of places where uh, people can be successful. How did you come up with – Dad, do you have a co-owner? In the in in lead engines, did you have somebody that got you interested in sales, or was it really kind of self self interest? No, that was that was hunger. I had bills to pay. I think there's a brutal way to get into sales, and I think that's the the, the way I did the it. The way you got in, yeah. I, but, I find it. Oh, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, you know, to answer your question, the, the original idea for lead engines wasn't entirely my own. So my first customer actually was reaching out asking me to build a software dashboard, like an internal tool for their B2B lead generation agency. And they were using a combination of these third-party data sources to build lead lists. They were doing it manually. It was very repetitive and they wanted to automate it, right? And the idea was basically lead engines, right? And so they reached out to me to build it. The only problem was they didn't have enough budget, but I was pretty interested in the product. It was, it kind of checked a lot of boxes that I was looking for. And so I said, okay, here's what I'll do. I can build it for what you're telling me your budget is, but I'm going to own it. You're going to have a lifetime license. And that means that if it breaks, you don't have to pay to get it fixed. Other people are going to want upgrades and you're going to get them for free. And you don't have to worry about owning this piece of software. Like you don't code, right? So like, what would you do? You would just pay money if it broke. And so he said, okay, let's do it. And so they became my first customer. They're actually still a customer today. I think almost four years later. And so, you know, they kind of had the original idea. I had the idea that it should be a B2B SaaS product and not just some tool that they had in-house. Awesome. Yeah. It's always nice when you have kind of the, as an entrepreneur, you have the proof that somebody's going to pay, you know, that you can sort of step out. You're not, you're not just making something up and, and, and peddling it. And I think most, I think most, we like to think about kind of smart ideas and napkins and, you know, guys sitting around drinking bourbon and coming up with business ideas, but I think in most cases, things that work are things that people have problems with that get brought, either you specifically have a problem with and you come up with a solution or somebody else has a problem and they evolve. 
Yeah, ideas evolve by being networked, right? Yep. So these people were sales and lead generation people, and they happened to talk to me, who was like an automation and data science nerd. And so I had my own take on it. And then, you know, along the way, I've brought in other people to work on the team and the I tell them what I believe and they come at it from a different perspective and the idea evolves a little bit more. But you always have to get the new perspectives, right? Now, 100%. Did you have, now, when you started the business, was it, did you have any, like, where I guess, where are you guys at now? I'm assuming four years in, you've got some, you know, you're technical, so you probably got a product market fit. You've got, you know, partnerships. You got, a, you got some scalability going on. How many clients do you have? Yeah, so we're in the hundreds of users right now. Hundreds of paying users, I should say. And we start at 200 bucks a month, so that's pretty good. So when I think about, so our tool, we have a dialing tool and we provide mm -hmm. salespeople the ability to talk to eight to 12 people an hour. It's essentially, uh, what's unique about it is that it has live agents. So all the AI that exists in the world, I still can't tell the difference between this is Kelly, the guy and Kelly, the girl, and it can't tell the difference between, you know, a voicemail and a gatekeeper. There's a lot of things that even though AI is getting improved and at some point it might be able to do this it still takes some context to be able to make decisions. And so our application is unique in the sense that it's a dialing application, but when we need a human to make a decision, we're going to bring a human in to do that. So it might look like a human play, dialing a phone prompt, or it might look like a human interacting with administrative assistant, but we're combining dialing and AI technology along with humans, not only to create a compliant experience, but to also deal with all the complexities that exist in the B2B environment. So with that being said, we spent a lot of time talking about data and it's one of those things where it's like, we're, we're probably as much in the, we don't sell data, but we're kind of in the data space in the sense that we spent a lot of time talking about it, talking about it internally, talking about it with our clients. I'd say, you know, it's, it's a personal, it's kind of a personal interest for us. So this took a little bit of a different, usually we're talking about the entrepreneur, we're talking about your story, but this took a little out of the gates, took a little bit of a detour because we started talking about your product in the, in the market. So, so with that, with all that being said, you know, what is your, you know, I, I guess I'll just kind of let you go. Like what, what kind of stuff are you passionate about? When you think about sales, do you think about yourself as being equally passionate, like more passionate about software development or more passionate about selling stuff? Yeah. Wow. I have sort of come up with this conviction that I'm trying not to like put any of the roles on a pedestal. And so I'm, I'm in a, I'm surrounded by smart people. Most of my friends are smart people. They're doctors, they're attorneys, um, and they're all talented people. And I've noticed that people really get focused on like what they do in their own interests. And, you know, that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a great thing in entrepreneurship. I know a lot of people that wouldn't pay a lot of money for like web design. They think it's a waste or they like, I'm not going to pay a graphic designer that much or like copywriting because they're putting all these other skills on a pedestal and maybe it's like some sort of academic hierarchy of like, well, you do philosophy, but I do astrophysics. I think there's a lot of that, you know, sales is important. Product development's important. It's as a solo founder, it all becomes so interconnected that there's a sales solution. There's a customer support solution. There's a marketing solution and there's a programming solution to every problem you might encounter. Say that, say that one more time. Cause I think that's important. Yeah. So when you're a founder, and, you know, I was in, not to totally go on a tangent, I was in Mexico the other weekend and I saw a guy selling sombreros and he was walking around with about 20 hats on his head and he was trying to keep his head on straight. And I deeply empathized with that. 
as a solo founder, sales, marketing, software developing, accounting, you know, like just right as a solo founder, there, there is a solution. There's a, there's a sales solution. There's a marketing solution. There's an engineering solution. There's a customer support solution. There's a pricing solution to pretty much every problem that you can encounter, right? It's not everything's a tech solution. It's, you could just raise your price. And like, when I started working with a lot of other CEOs that don't have a, don't have a technology background, it was interesting to see the way they would totally approach these problems. Like if you know your AWS budget is out of control, my first instinct is how am I gonna use less server space? And you know my friend that is far more successful than I am is just raising his prices ten dollars and like not worrying about it. Uh <laughs> well, well, I think that's so. This is such a fun, fa fascinating. I mean, I think it's super important what you said there that there's always multiple solutions to a problem because I think we like to think about just think about emotions. Like we, we like to think about things being singular, right? Like so-and-so did this for this motive, but we're, as people, we have lots of motivations and for problems. Like I think I read in a book one time, I wish I could remember the book, but the guy basically said work, the guy was working with large corporations. And he said, when I talk to CEOs, what I have found is that there's not typically one solution to every problem like we like to think about it is like there's one we just need to do this one thing and he's like that's not the that's not the situation there's usually multiple solutions to the problem it's agreeing it's it's picking one and i think that i think that's why that's so important is like how you come up with problems and how you think about it is like we like to think about hey there's an issue and there's one solution but like you said there's a solution in each one of those buckets whether it be pricing development I think that's just a really interesting thought. Yeah. And then, you know, there's also a problem with each of the solution that you pick, right? So anytime you change anything, it changes everything else. So you have to kind of think about the aftershocks of it too, especially when you're, when it's a software as a service product and it's just a website people go to, you know? What do you feel like the, so I, so I really like that. I wrote that down. You know, I try not to put my skills or I try not to put skills on a pedestal because I think that's true, right? If you bring, if you, we have a tendency to solve problems from our strength. So if you're a marketer, you're going to try to solve everything's a marketing problem. That's what you're saying. If you're a sales guy, everything's a sales problem. So when you hire people, and I think this really comes into hiring, you know, I've learned to really try to pay attention to what kind of person you're hiring and what their strong suits are. Because like, for example, if you bring in a marketing, let's say you bring in a VP of marketing, depending on what that person marketing you know, kind of focus is they're going to really shape your company based on what they, their experience is, right? So if they're really good at podcasting, you're probably going to have a, a marketing plan developed around podcasting. If they're really good at email marketing. You're probably going to have a marketing plan around email marketing because people have a tendency to want to solve problems out of their strengths. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge has been for you in terms of starting the business? Oh man, it's um, a good question. Because there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard, um, man. It is, it is, it's hard. It's like you're spinning so many plates. Yeah. Especially in the Sometimes early days. you have to be consistent about things that you don't get to automate. So like, especially with my background, I have like a personal religious opposition to doing things repetitively that could probably be automated, you know? But like you like to do stuff repetitively or you don't? 
I, no, I don't. If if I'm going to do something two or three times, like if I'm going to send you an onboarding email after you sign up, I'm going to automate that. Oh, awesome. Okay. No, that's, that's great. Um, but in sales, like you got to call your leads and you can't just robo dial them and play a voicemail. And my brain sure. is just not geared to waking up and doing my dials and doing the things that are repetitive. That might be a strength. Maybe that's a sign I need to be hiring people for those things. But man, sometimes you just have to do it yourself. And that's just not what I'm built for. Now, do you, have you had to learn to sell? Yeah. Yeah. I certainly, uh, I didn't know how to do it before and I get sales now. So learning happened somewhere. <laughs> what, what do you think the the biggest challenge was? Like, so, so here's what I think is really fascinating. I love, and I don't know if, I'm sure there's a word for this and you might, you might, you might be able to know what word it is, but I love when somebody has a skill in one thing and then they, then they rebrand or get involved in some other thing. So it might look like a developer who's like really got an interest in sales or a salesperson who really has an interest in development where you kind of have this skill set or background and then you get interested or brand yourself in another way. So I find that really super fascinating. I think probably because of the evolutionary process, like watching people change is cool. And so when you decided that you had to start selling did you have like walk me through that process? Did you have fears? Did you have concerns? Like, have you tried like what have you done to try to solve the sales problem? I mean, you seem really articulate, so it seems like you probably do pretty good at getting on the phone and interacting with buyers. But take me through that. Yeah. Journey. So um, I guess for me, it definitely wasn't like being bashful about reaching out. I've done scientific presentations. I was Tom Sawyer and I was Harold Hill from The Music Man at one point. So so. So somebody said, oh, right oh, so you were, so you were in a, you were yeah, in some place. Theater. I guess somebody, some, somebody at some point pegged me as the traveling salesman and they typecasted me as that. So there were parts that came naturally. And here you are selling, I know, right? sales, software. selling sales software to salespeople claiming I don't know what I'm doing. When you have never sold anything and you didn't grow up selling anything and like your parents weren't salespeople and like nobody ever really taught you about sales, there's this like weird, funny, moral feeling you get in your gut around sales that I think is probably what was holding me back at first. I wasn't really afraid of getting in front of people. I went to a pitch event and I think the first investor I walked up to, he told me to go away before I even finished my first sentence. And I went on to the next guy and like, it was fine. So I can handle those kinds of things. But it was always like, there's that moment where you tell people what it costs. And it's like, if you're not experienced, like your voice changes and like, you're like oh, well, you know, it's 1500, but it could be 500, you know, right? Like, in, yeah. And yeah. You, for me, the thing, this sounds really dumb, but one of the things that helped me was asking myself, like, if you look around and you look at all the people that are like super rich, right? And you look at all the things they could do in the world and you ask yourself, like, do you think you would do more than like the average one of those people if you had what they had? And if you, if you do think you would, then you have like a moral responsibility to go out and try to do that, right? Like when you're asking people for money or you're trying to sell somebody something, it's not like because I'm not telling myself it's because I want to go, you know, buy a nice dinner and then go make a down payment on like a Lamborghini or something. It's like, I believe that I'm going to do more with it. And so that's what kind of gets me through. Like, yes, I'm selling lead lists to people and I'm cold emailing people and I'm annoying them. 
but like there's a bigger purpose to it. Well, you're so you're solving a real problem. Yeah, yeah, there's a bigger purpose, and you're solving a real you're you're solving a real problem um, for somebody. What did your parents do? Were they scientists? Yeah, so actually, I didn't realize my my dad was in sales until much later on. He was in business development, and I don't think I was in my 20s until I realized that that's actually a sales role. So he sold products that don't exist yet to the military. Basically, you would help them design the. Okay. You know they, you know the spider okay. jet's going to need this computer chip in 10 years kind of thing. You probably thought about that more as like product. I mean, that is sales, but that probably felt well, maybe a little bit more like product. Yeah, he called it. He called it yeah. PowerPoint engineering, yeah. and he raised me on Dilbert, which probably wasn't good for me. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Did, did uh, was your mom? Was she a teacher or? Yeah. So my mom. She, I don't know why I thought teacher, but I just threw that. I, I just felt like uh, working for selling to the government and being a teacher went together. No. Yeah. So my mom, actually, she worked at the same company as my dad. She okay. was, she started out as an administrative assistant and then she had to stop working for a couple of years because I got really sick. And then she went back to uh -huh. college and she just recently retired. And when she retired, she was the director of mergers and acquisitions at Cubic. And she accomplished oh, awesome. all of that starting like in her forties, which was very cool. That's cool. That's cool. And like really inspiring. Yeah. Um, to uh, man, you just have so much. It's maybe, maybe someday I'll finish my college degree. <laughs> that, well, so you're in good, you're in good company. So I have, I have like a class to take to be an official graduate of my university. And uh, what happened was I came out of school. I was trying to take a summer school class and I started started working, and then I and starting business, and I just didn't get I just didn't get to it. So I've never had. Uh, now I feel like a moral obligation to finish. I mean, like I've never yeah. thought of myself as like not an actual graduate because I went across, you know, like I walked across the stage, have interact, you know, I I got they gave me the diploma, it just didn't have anything in it, right? So I'm like a little <laughs> box, but it doesn't have the doesn't have the diploma in it. So. My mom used to call me every week and tell me that I needed to like religiously would call me and say, Hey, you need to finish. And at some point she stopped calling me. So, so we'll see. That's nice. When people, when people stop they calling, calling you, you. Stop I, either you. a, she didn't think I was going to do it or she thought I had surpassed my need for a, for a, for a college degree. I don't know which, I don't know which one. So, but Brad, go, Brad, go to college and get a job. <laughs> job right? yeah. Yeah, get the job, Brad. When did, when did people stop telling you that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I went right into, right into working and building stuff. So nobody ever, the two, the two people that were really on me about the, about the degree were my best friend's mom who worked at the university. So she would call, she, anytime I'd see her, she'd be like, you know, Hey, I got your trans. She was the, it worked in transcripts. So she's like, I got your transcripts. I'm all ready for you. You just have to take this one class. So her name was Kelly. Kelly was really on me to get the degree. And my mom, but you know, that was a decade ago or 15, 20 years ago at this point. So anyways, yeah. So you're, so you're in good company. So did you have a good college experience or did you just go straight to, I had a good college experience. Yeah. So before I went to college, I worked at a research facility called the Salk Institute for biological studies, which is one of the top five biology research institutes in the world pretty much every single year. So I was able to pretty much just walk in the door at whatever lab I wanted to be at in college. And I was like, I, I was the kind of kid that would ditch class to go hang out in the lab, go get some research done. So I did have like a really good experience in that sense. 
and I had a lot of fun. I, on freshman year, I got on the same dorm floor as a girl and uh, bought a wedding ring or engagement ring for her like last week. It's been nine years, so she'll probably say yes. Have you done that? Have you have you proposed yet? We won't release this until you propose, just in case she happens. Well, to that'll be Google you. That's supposed to be Sunday. I've got the dinner plan. Okay. And, um, <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah. The, now, when you were at Northward Grumman, did you have? So it looked like you were there for you know four four years. So you started as an intern, and you just stayed even though you didn't have your degree. Yeah. So my degree was taking a really long time because I got sick, yeah, and it you mentioned that it ended up. Yeah, I got sick a second time actually. And it ended up taking several years more than I expected in order to be resolved. And so I was in and out of school for a pretty long time. But I was also kind of always working because, you know, money and health insurance are good. Yeah. And they let me work remote. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to work on all sorts of really cool projects at Northrop. We did everything from manufacturing, electronic warfare, worked on a couple fighter jets. At one point, I got to fly the F-35 simulator. I got quickly removed from the F-35 simulator because I went underground and I showed everybody what it looked like from you know the world <laughs> you just went rogue you're just like they're like we got Ryan in here flying and all yeah. of a sudden you're like hey guys I found this little trick on the machine yeah, does they... anybody know this and the instructor's like cut cut yeah so go. they kicked me off they put in one of the air force guys who took orders better than I did <laughs> this is not a game Ryan this is not a game this is real fun that's awesome Oh man, you got, I love that story, dude. You just got on there and went rogue. You went rogue and yeah. all the military guys are freaking out. Well, I mean, it's a simulator, right? It, doesn't... <laughs> it was, uh, it wasn't well, military guys. It was people that were trying to promote the, uh, they were trying to do a promo video and I was ruining it. Oh, they were trying to do a promo <laughs> video. Okay. I just envisioned you like, you know, you're in the underground room. They got all these, you know, super high officiating military and they, they invite you in and all of a sudden you've hacked the video game and they're all freaking out. I didn't hack anything. I just figured out if you fly into the ground, it just goes straight through. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, oh, good man. We I feel like we could talk for I feel like we could talk forever here. So, so a couple things I want to that you talked about that I want to hone in on. You talked about this con- the concept of like skill. Try not to put skills on a pedestal. And I want to use that topic. And I, I want to ask you a question. When you think about that, like not wanting to put skills on a pedestal. What do you think about, are, are you thinking like when you're solving problems, are you trying to think about it from, as an entrepreneur, are you trying to think about it from multiple different perspectives? Yeah, it's, it's multiple perspectives and it's really just like, you got to figure out what your options are. Like you wouldn't go buy the first, first solution you see. So a good example is like, if there's a user experience issue on your website, like on your SaaS products. Do you want to, do you want to fix it? Do you want to put a little tip button, like a little question mark in a circle people can hover over? You want to write a blog article? It's maybe kind of a really like lame example, but you know, you, you, you get those choices for everything. I guess a better example might be something like we were looking at the best way to promote the product, and we had 18 integrations and we realized that everybody that has a marketing automation tool and everybody that has, you know, some kind of cold email platform, they need more leads. Either they need leads to get started or they've emailed all the people on their list and they need a new list. And so we realized we could go tell those companies, hey, people are canceling or they're failing to sign up at all because they don't have a list or because they've emailed all the people that they've emailed. And you can either send them this guide on here's this six step process to build a lead list, 
or you can send them a link to lead engines with a free trial promo code and they can get, you know, 300 credits and they'll stay on your platform. They'll be retained better because, you know, it's easier to continue to use it. And it's just kind of like thinking about how do you access, like what skills are available to access the other players in the, in the ecosystem and like kind of use them to your advantage. It brings me all the way back actually to like, you know what systems ecology is? They have that picture of here's these animals that eat these animals and they eat these animals. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yep. if you make this animal, if there's more of this animal, there's going to be less of that and more yeah. of these. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's kind of this like interactiveness between what you do and what all these other products in the market do. And there's a bunch of other people that have a business where you solve the problem that they create for their customer, right? Every solution creates a new problem. So I think you said you're, you're an auto dialer, right? So let's say I don't have any leads and then I discover that I can get leads through cold calling. Well, now I have a problem that I, I can't cold call enough, right? So if you had, you know, you could obviously team up with like sales consultants and all sorts of, this is a pretty typical pathway that I think a SaaS product takes. People that, you know, create that need, you can team up with them and you can be an additional revenue stream for them. And, you know, you might have originally thought the solution is to write a blog article and tell people why they need an auto dialer, right? Like, I don't know if that's a great answer. No, I, well, I, well, I think that, so here's what I think, she, here's, what I, here's what I like. So I like that you have, you know, I can tell you have like a scientific approach to things. So I can just tell there's like a general hypothesis created and then you're working through the solutions, the hypothesis. So I think that's a great way to think about trying to solve problems because I do think the natural tendency is to solve from your perspective, right? Like whatever your strength is, you're going to try to solve problems from, from that. And so I love, I love the idea. The thing I love about seeing people that have, you know, science biology backgrounds is they typically think from the hypothesis state of view or point of view, right? They're right. Whether they do it cognitively or whether they're, whether they're conscious of it or not conscious of it, there tends to be some kind of hypothesis, and then they're coming up with the solution. So I think that's great for anybody to think think about doing doing that. I think that's a great way to solve problems. Do you, in terms of you guys building partnerships, have those partnerships been difficult? Obviously, integrations are easy. Have you been able to get uh, these partnerships to to promote you or to you know like it's one thing to integrate, it's another thing to get somebody to be be on your side. And if you have, what what have you found has made that successful? Yeah, so every SaaS product has someone on their team that writes content and doesn't really know what to write about today, or maybe they won't know what to write about next week. Integrations are always really easy, low-hanging fruit, and a lot of the times they're better solutions than whatever their customer support team is sending over now, which is like a blog article that says, here's a way to do this manually. So if you come at the channel partnership from a value position and you're like, hey, my existence is good for Lemlist users. It's good for Reply.io users. It's good for Mailshake users. And here's why. And these are these types of your users that just need to know about our products. We get referrals and partnerships and co-promotion from companies like these, and we don't even pay them. We don't pay a referral fee or anything like that. And it's because part of the value of a SaaS product or like a tool is the rest of the things in the ecosystem. Like, yes, a SaaS product is $80, but you know, right, for example, but what's the cost of using it? Like if you have somebody sitting there, it's, you know, actually using the tool, it's almost universally going to cost more than the tool. So, you know, if you have integrations or you, you, there's other products in the ecosystem that work together, like 
people aren't buying. Yes, people buy SaaS a la carte. They'll go buy a product from you and they'll go buy a product from somebody else. They'll go buy a product from somebody else. But they're not building the system a la carte. And they're not right. making that final investment decision on, am I going to buy lead engines or am I going to buy this? It's, am I going to use lead engines and Lemlist in this? Or am I going to use Sales Navigator and Zoom Info and Outreach and Salesforce? And it's, it's, it's something we don't think about as like a startup founder because we want to think it's like all about us and like our product and whatever. But a lot of the times it's better to just go after, you know, there's all these people using this one cold email platform. Maybe there's 5,000 of them and they all have the same problem. And it's a problem for the platform too. There's a lot of teammates out in the world that are like very natural. You're very naturally aligned with them. And there's no barriers stopping you from cross-promoting, you know? No, I think that's a great, I think that's a great, great insight. I love the idea of going to the content writer because you're right. They got to write something. And they're probably running out of stuff. Better write something to get fired. <laughs> That's right, right? For sure. All right. Well, well, this was, Ryan, this was awesome. I think, is there anything, you know, specific that, uh, a question that I didn't ask that you really want to cover or anything that you're really passionate about, you want to make sure you get a chance to talk about? Yeah, for me, the big thing, my big sales angle is, you know, if you want to do anything with your life other than be employed, you have to learn how to market and sell. If you want to learn how to market and sell, there's probably no better way to do that than to do lead generation for entrepreneurs and business owners. And if you want to do lead generation for entrepreneurs and business owners, there's probably no better way to do that than lead engines. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, you can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time.